Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio. It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. Hello and good morning. You're on Dirt Radio with Colin. We're broadcasting, as usual, live from 3CR Studio in Collingwood. Dirt Radio is a show sponsored by Friends of the Earth Melbourne, so check us out at www.fo.org.au. Today I have the chance to have Lina with me for the last Dirt Radio show of the year. Hi Lina, what's up? Hi Colin, how are you doing? Very well, it's a beautiful day today, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's gorgeous. I just rode from Footscray and it was just really lovely. Sweet, so like today we will listen to an amazing interview made by John Langer with an Uruguayan Friends of the Earth activist. He made this interview during the final COP21. He was in Paris and they had a Skype interview. We will after talk with Yolina about the flood system strategy and direct action to tackle climate change and how to encourage a government to respect the treaties it just signed in Paris. So, on Saturday... After two weeks of negotiations at the climate conference in Paris, about 190 countries around the world signed onto an agreement to work towards keeping global warming below 1.5 degrees. It's being hailed as an history-making moment, as a global turning point in the fight against climate change. But, as they say, the devil is in the detail. Real World Radio is Friends of the Earth International's online multilingual radio service run by Friends of the Earth in Uruguay. They've been at COM21 reporting and posting reports. And the journalist, José Elozeguay, has been closing following the proceeding. But as you'll hear in the Skype interview from Paris done last Friday with one of the Dirt Radio's presenters, John Langer, Special John, Rosé is much more sober and realistic in his assessment of the potential outcomes of COP21. You've been in Paris with Real World Radio at COP21, the climate conference. What have you been doing there? Okay, really, um, the, the, the first idea of our media or our radio coverage here was to follow, the first one was to follow the agenda of Friends of the Earth International inside the COP and also in the outside activities, the parallel activities in the um, global village of the alternatives and also in the climate action zone, with the, which is still uh, happening here in, in Paris. And um, I would say that in the first week, we, as Real World Radio, dedicated almost fully to Friends of the Earth International Agenda. And uh, in the second week, we have been also dedicating to Friends of the Earth International work, but also to other social movements and organizations work here, because for the second week, 
lots of more people arrived to Paris to be part of the parallel activity, so we have been following it. Now, you've, uh, you've been there nearly two weeks, or over two weeks probably. You've been interviewing climate campaigners and activists from all around the world, and you probably can't cover all those you spoke to. But over time, over the period of time that you've been there talking to climate activists, have there been specific issues or concerns that you seem to find come up in your conversations over and over again? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that there are several issues which are coming up, as you were saying, all the time. Um, for example, in terms of the negotiations, uh, John, I would have to strengthen um, the urgent uh, need uh, that social movements, social organizations, environmentalists, indigenous leaders, peasants, women, uh, labor leaders, etc., they focus on, on several issues. You know, they talk about the climate debt, they talk, they talk about the environmental debt, and in that sense, um, the urgent reduction of CO2 emissions from developed countries is one of the most important items that they focus. Um, the need of finance for adaptation and mitigation uh, in the developing countries, so developing countries can have money to go and in, in a development pathway which is not as contaminating or polluting as the, 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 the pathway that the developed countries have been, have been crossing, have been doing since uh, mid of the 19th uh, century. And the other topic, which is part of the climate justice uh, demands of the movements, is the transfer of uh, tra the technology transfer. Um, so in, in the same sense, so the countries from the global south can have uh, the best technologies so they can develop in a, in a much, much, much better way so we don't keep contaminating. Another item which I would say is very important for the social movements are the fall solutions which have been, which the uh, developed countries um, also some developing countries, um, corporations, international financial institutions have been developing in the last years. And there you have uh, lots of them. Uh, we can name, for example, the extremely uh, big uh, dams uh, mm. which are displacing people and causing mm. great environmental problems in several places of the south. You have there also the, um, the OGMs. You have there, for example, the biofuels, or what mm. we call in the movements the agrofuels, because they are produced from, from food, you know, from, from crops. Mm. Um, I would say they are also, we can name, for example, the, the, nuclear, the nuclear power plants, um, also, for example, the CDM, the Clean Development Mechanism of the Kyoto Protocol, which permits uh, to developed countries to offset their emissions. For example, if they have to uh, reduce 10, then they only reduce 5, mm -hmm. and the other 5, they buy uh, carbon credits from different projects which are uh, developed in the global south, that means that they don't really reduce what they have to reduce. So that's why social movements are talking that those are 
false solutions, I would say also nowadays, specifically because it's being discussed in the negotiations, the climate smart agriculture, which, which sees the production of crops as a carbon market that can get uh, CO2 emissions in the soil. So the peasants are saying um, the soil is not a place where where emissions can be kept. You know, the soil is a place or, or is a, a resource in which we live, mm. from which we live, uh, where we produce uh, the food for, for, for the whole world. Mm. So there are plenty of, of yes. false solutions that uh, basically to, to have a summary of, of the position is that countries are doing lots of and lots of things. Developed countries have been developing lots of lots of things uh, that um, are new ways for them of getting money instead of, instead of really being fighting against climate mm. change. Because to really fight against climate change, the first thing that you need to do is to reduce drastically the emissions of CO2. Of CO2. And it's not really happening yes. from, from time time before. And, and, and unfortunately, uh, in the agreement, which is uh, about to come up here in Paris, it's also the same thing. Mm. There are mm. no really uh, important emission reductions from the developed countries, John. Now, you've been talking and interviewing lots and lots of people. One or two interviews that you've done or your colleagues have done have had, well, have they had a, a really big impact on you? And can you tell us about those those couple of interviews or at least one that's had a really big impact on you or on your understanding of things? I would like to tell you that I made an interview with Ramon Aguiar, he is part of a um, peasant organization from Cuba, an organization which is uh, which unites uh, small small peasants, peasants who are dedicated to small agriculture, and he's part of La Via Campesina. You know that's a very mm. very large um, peasant mm. organization from all over the world, with with organizations in the in the five different continents. The most important demands of La Via Campesina have been in the last years and since a lot of time ago, uh, food sovereignty and as part as a very important part of this political demand, the agroecology. Then when I made the interview with him just a few days ago, he was saying, OK, as, as La Via Campesina, we are demanding agroecology, we are demanding uh, public um, decisions, political decisions to strengthen uh, agroecology. So, because agroecology is a way of producing food which is not contaminating, uh, which is against uh, or in the in the in front of to to combat the industrial agriculture, which is causing um, a huge amount of mm. pollution. Uh, and the whole food system around the world is producing uh, lots of, of 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 pollution, and it's one of the the sectors which pollute the most all around the world. And in a part of the interview, he said to me, you know, in, in Cuba, we don't really have these problems or these demands because in Cuba, we have, uh, we already have uh, public politics dedicated to um, to make more possible and to strengthen the agroecology. We already have the decisions made by the government to um, to strengthen the small scale agriculture um, in Cuba, the decisions about agriculture are decisions which are really trying to 
um, make easier for the people to get healthy food. Uh, the man is at the center of of of, of the of the social and and, mm. and, system, and economic system. Um, then it was quite quite interesting for me because it's like all over the world that the different peasants organizations are demanding the same thing, you know, mm. about this. And and then you find someone from a country which says, okay, uh, that's what we are demanding internationally. And of course, it's the most important demand for us. But in Cuba, you, we do not have this problem. And it was important also in a sense that it is possible. It is working. Those decisions, those alternatives mm. are working are, and are useful in, in, in several countries, you know, and, mm. and in Cuba as an, as an example. Mm. Then I would say, I, I would strengthen what Davia Campesina says about that, which is, we are not demanding something new. It's not something new. New. It's really what the peasants' organization have been doing, have been doing for years, and we just need that the governments uh, do not back up um, the corporate decisions about food and um, support and give more strength uh, to the organizations which are dedicated to work in the land and also to produce healthy food and in a way which is not polluting for the environment. Now, I want to turn to something a little bit more related to your, your professional work, your work as a radio journalist. What's been the most challenging part of being a media person in, at the Paris Talks? Um, I'm, I'm trying to, 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 to think the, the response and the answer, John, in terms of, of my work, as you said, in terms of, as, as, of a, as a journalist work, you know. And so you have to be going from a place to the other. You have to be thinking, now I go to that place then I do two, mm, three mm, interviews, mm. and then when I finish that, I have to go to this other place, and we also have to make interviews there, and then there's going to be an action in this place, and there, there afterwards there's going to be a demonstration in this other mm. place, and then you will need to sit down in front of a computer at least for five, six hours to produce and to work with all the material that you have been collecting mm. and working on the whole day. Mm. And you have to make it possible that this material goes alive and goes uh, and is uploaded to your, to the web page, you know? So, so I would say that, mm. that, um, yeah, you have a really a, a full agenda. Yeah. Of course you have to prioritize. Yeah, yeah. You can't be everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I would say that, that that's the, maybe as a journalist, that's the most important challenge, I think. But obviously it's been very, uh, a very challenging period of your, of your, uh, of your work, but uh, you'll get back uh, home and <laughs> hopefully you'll have a, a very good long rest if you can. But I, I wanted to, I wanted to continue just a couple more questions. You're, you're starting up the final day, at least that, my understanding is that today for you, at your time, will be the final day. Some are saying that the conference has gone well, that it's moved beyond the blockages of Copenhagen. Others are way less optimistic. What's your overall assessment of the conference? I, I would try to be um, clear about the, the, the real thing, in my opinion, and in France of the international opinion, I would say, uh, about the, the the final test. I mean, we don't have the final test, but what is on the table today and what is the sense or in which way we are facing what is on the table. So it's very, very possible that they are coming up with an agreement. So they could be signing an agreement. Um, for many people, it is enough. That's the real thing. Many people think that only having an agreement, that's good, that this is something, 
uh, at least we we came up with something mm -hmm. uh, so it's a, a cop which was well so as friends of the Earth international really and in my personal opinion we are really far 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 away from there um, according to the intergovernmental panel on climate change which is the scientist panel of the of the United Nations about climate change, they have said that accord, that if you take into account the contributions to the CO2 emission reductions that developed countries have put on the table, the globe, the planet, would be in a three, four um, degrees increase for the end of this century. And it is a catastrophe, really. It is just a catastrophe. The developing countries have been demanding that this, the solutions that have be, to be taken um, have to make it possible that the world do not go over uh, 1.5 degrees of, of global warming. And the scientists are, are saying, with the figures, with the numbers that developed countries are putting on the table, we would be going in a three, four global warming uh, for the end of the century, and that would mean climate behavior absolutely uncontrollable, uh, which we can't control. That's the real thing. We have almost nothing. What we have is absolutely, absolutely, absolutely uh, not enough to really face in a serious way the climate change. And we think that it has to be said to the people because everybody is going to be saying from here, we have an agreement, this is a victory, but it's not really a victory. It's not really a victory for the people, for the communities which are suffering the impacts, for the people in the global south, but not only in the global south. As you know, the, the global north is also experiencing important problems in terms of, of climate change. Buy a ticket in the 3CR Summer Radiothon raffle. And not only will you be supporting independent radio, but you could be in the running to win a new bike kindly donated by Reed Cycles. Reed Cycles have stores in North Melbourne, Windsor and Collingwood. Check out their website, reedcycles.com.au. Call the station now on 94198377 to get your tickets. Reed Cycles is a 3CR supporter. And you're back on Dirt Radio, a show sponsored by Friends of the Earth. You with Colin and Lina. That was Jose Elosequi talking on Skype from Paris with John Langer about the potential and problems emerging from the climate talks just completed over the weekend. So, Lina, you're a young activist <laughs> from Melbourne Uni Fossil Free Crew. You were involved also in the last Flood the System direct action on Thursday, the yeah. 10th of December. Flood the system connected the dot between the multinationals' big polluters like BHP, Billiton, and mm -hmm. the banking system who finance the beast and the destruction of our planet, mm -hmm. Westpac Bank, yeah. for example. <laughs> Could you tell us what is Flood the system and who can be part of it? Yeah, sure. So Flood the system um, is an international movement. It started in the States by a group called um, Rising Tide. And um, essentially, they created this concept of, of flooding the current system we have um, with people power and using 
peaceful civil disobedience um, to kind of highlight the different problems that we have in the world and and demand that our leaders take stronger action. So they created this concept called Flood the System. They made this amazing presentation on it um, and they put it all for free on the internet and now it's just kind of flooded the world, I guess, and um, it's starting up in a whole bunch of different places. There's three different groups in Australia at the moment, the one in Sydney, Melbourne and in Perth, um, and there's just different people kind of pulling all these resources together and trying to spread it more. So we did a couple of presentations at Melbourne Uni where you just you can kind of just download the presentation and just show it to people and introduce them to this new concept, um, which essentially is just about showing how a lot of the... Or, I guess all of the social justice issues we have in the world are all symptoms of a broken system, which is capitalism and colonialism and how that has marginalised and oppressed peoples and places all over the world. Um, So it talks about how climate change or the climate movement itself, even though climate change is something that's going to affect, is affecting everybody around the world, um, you know, it's not enough to kind of go, everyone has to be behind us on the climate movement and support this movement because it's the most urgent, we have to kind of acknowledge how every movement is important and all of these movements are urgent and important and um, are all symptoms of the system that we live under. We need to be addressing the system rather than these symptoms. Um, So on the action on Thursday, for example, we were highlighting how the um, corruption and the the, the profit-mongering of financial institutions and the way that big um, extractive companies like BHP Billiton and ExxonMobil um, use our resources and, and exploit people around the world are related to each other and they're all connected together. Um, so, for example, Westpac has the award for from 2014 for being the most sustainable company in the world <laughs> <laughs> and also happened to be the bank that's invested the most in fossil fuels this year. So it's just showing how... Um, all of the things that we're seeing that just make us really angry and make us really passionate about something, be it animal agriculture, be it um, the rights of Indigenous Australians or Indigenous peoples around the world, Pacific Islanders, um, be it racism or sexism, all of these things are interconnected and they all kind of link back to this bigger problem that is the system that's just not, um, it's, that's just failing us essentially. It looks like you had a great turnover during this action. Yeah. Do you reckon, do you reckon <clears throat> it because it was a couple, you know, couple days after the climate march and like people felt really empowered to do something? Definitely. Um, I think that had a lot to do with it. A lot of the, I mean, I guess if you look at the Facebook event and also the flyers that were handed out for this action last Thursday, um, a lot of them were saying, you know, you've, you've done all the rallies, you've signed all the petitions, now it's time to do something more. And Flood the System really encourages that act of nonviolent direct action and going out and really making a stand. Because I guess what's happening is, you know, like with the Pacific, uh, sorry, the People's Climate March, we had, was it 60, 65,000 people in Melbourne come in March? But, you know, it's not like we get any new policies out of that. It's not like um, Turnbull mm. then turns around and goes like, oh, you do all okay. care. Okay, cool, we'll just you know, (laughs) we'll change the way that we do everything. Um, And taking direct action like that really has an impact on business as well. You know, um, the Westpac building last Thursday had to shut down because we had people locked out at the front um, and so they had to stop working. And that's, you know, actually has a bit more effect, I guess. And as um, a concerned citizen of the world, that's just so much more empowering than going to a march or signing a petition and kind of coming to that realisation that that's not doing what you want it to do and it's not 
addressing the urgency of the situation we're in. Creating an escalation. Yeah. So you're tackling climate change by targeting polluters. Mm -hmm. We can see that green <clears throat> groups are now recognized globally after the treaty that over 190 nations signed. Climate change is now officially real and we need <laughs> to fight back to stop global warming. Yeah. Uh, how do you think our green groups will be helping the shift to tackle global warming? I think... And sorry, sorry I yeah. would like to just <laughs> add like this little tiny question mm -hmm. after. And is direct action still a good tactic? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so green groups, I think they've... They need to keep doing what they've been doing for since the 80s, I guess, um, since we started hearing the science about um, what climate change is and global warming and what's happening in our world and how the industrial age is related to that. Um, I think it's really important that we keep targeting and pressuring the government as well as the corporations and financial institutions and showing how they're all connected and are all profiting from climate change or profiting from the things that are exacerbating climate change. And it's really important to keep highlighting that and promoting that information and distributing it to the public, which is exactly what um, all of these organizations do. And direct action, I think, is definitely something that needs to be done probably on a larger scale than um, it has in the last maybe, you know, I think, I think it had a really big, um, really big powerful impact in the 80s and 90s and then it's kind of tapered off a bit and now we need to start bringing it back and doing a lot more of it because um, I think especially in Australia and especially in Melbourne we live in a world where there's so many protests every week there's people in the streets complaining about something that they don't like in the system um, rightfully so for most cases and um, you know we don't they don't have an effect anymore and we need to be doing more and stepping up and escalating it because Uh, where we've kind of created this this space in the system where they where we have this little like space where we can vent our anger and have a protest and everybody yells and shouts and is really annoyed at something and then we can kind of go home and keep living our lives and we haven't actually made an impact as much as we would like to so um, I think direct action is definitely a more um, powerful way of showing how much you care about something. And it's also more empowering because, as we saw on Thursday as well, a lot of people felt like um, their presence there and, you know, uh, occupying that space on Collins Street where we were sitting um, and, you know, kind of really saying, no, this is not okay, this isn't good enough, um, as, is a really empowering communal um, experience. And yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's really powerful. You say that there are three groups in a... <clears throat> in Australia. I mean, if me tomorrow, I got a, an idea for nonviolent direct action, where should I go? What can I do? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the great thing about Flood the System, as I said earlier, was that it, um, it is kind of just free on the internet. You just Google it and anyone can be involved. It's not, it doesn't, it's decentralized. So there's no leaders in it. We all are leaders of this movement, of this concept. So anyone can adopt it and just you know, play with it and, and see what inspires them and what they want to do with it. So, um, you know, you can just grab your friends and go and do whatever you want. There are these kind of, I guess, networks of people who um, are trying to create bigger actions like the one we saw on Thursday, which which you can also get involved in. I know there's a Flood the System Australia website that oh, you right. can um, sign up to and get on the email list and then email them and say, like, hey, I want to do this thing, and they'll support you in it. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's... It's really easy, and I think that's what's so empowering about it as well, is that you can kind of just go and do it yourself. 
I reckon yeah. it's for every age, like everybody's yeah, welcome. Yeah, absolutely everybody. And yeah, and you, I mean, you could see it on the action Thursdays where we had families there. We had, um, we, <laughs> we had people in suits there. We had young kids there. We had high school students there, and just a whole mix of people. And it was really amazing. Yeah, it's really like the people taking, they empowering to yeah, take uh, yeah, to take action, yeah. taking back the public space for the whole community. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. It's not just like reserved for like radical. No, exactly. Definitely not. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you very much, mate, for popping by in a, in a studio today. Anytime. All the best with the, the green action groups for the future and flood <laughs> the system. You. And uh, we'll be in touch next year. Thanks you very much for listening to Dirt Radio. That's it for us for this year. Like that was the last show. We'll be back in January 2016 with plenty of more adventures. Don't forget that Dirt Radio is affiliated with Friends of the Earth Melbourne, so you can go to the website at www.fo.org.au and support our kick-ass campaigns with a donation. Just coming up right now, it's Black Block, so stay tuned. Now I would like to play a special song to finish the to fin to wrap up the show. It's a, it's a song by the legendary unknown yet singer and songwriter Vince Mulkerin. His The Story Song is called The Kurong Sand. A très bientôt on Dirt Radio.